Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. A look at the changing risk and resilience landscape with insights on the challenges facing businesses today and tomorrow. Hi, everybody. I'm Renee Koa from Zurich North America. If the workplace was experiencing a sea change in the years prior to 2020, a tsunami of change occurred last year. Workplaces around the country are still feeling the effects of the pandemic's work-from-home revolution. Civil unrest and the call for greater diversity and opportunities for underrepresented groups. And along with that, the ongoing tide of a digital world. These are issues that will resonate for years and decades ahead. Is your workforce ready? Are you? Here to offer some insights for companies of all sizes is Laura Rock, Chief Human Resources Officer for Zurich North America. Laura is responsible for envisioning and driving Zurich's human resources strategy to help achieve the goals of its business through its people. She has more than 25 years of HR leadership and business experience. Laura, thanks so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here with you today, Renee. It's such an important topic that, as you said, is relevant to all of us, no matter what the size of our workforce. There's so much to talk about in regard to recent events, but before we begin, can you speak to how important a company's people are to its resilience and success? Sometimes it feels like the human factor can get lost in some companies' rush to meet business goals. And that's a great place to start, right? At, at the end of the day, it, it, it is all about our people. Um, and, you know, I think companies have been guilty um, of short-term thinking over long-term investments when it comes to people. Um, you know, as I always like to say, if you take care of your people, they're going to take care of your business and they'll take care of your customers. And to do that, you have to think further um, in the future than your next quarter's profits. So how has the past year challenged HR professionals? It's <laughs> a great question. Last year is, uh, it's been a year that... Um, it, it absolutely um, made us rethink our roles as HR professionals. I think about it in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, and, and it, you can't work further up the pyramid if you can't take care of the base. And, and in the past, I would always say the base is payroll. You know, my, my joke goes always, if you can't get people paid, they're not going to care what else you're talking about. Uh, 2020 actually even reset that further down. And, and it did remind us that at the end of the day, you have to first address employees' health and safety. Um, and that's physical when you think about, you know, COVID and, and the impact of the pandemic, but it's also emotional. And, and it's making sure um, employees feel a sense of well-being and a sense of belonging within the organization. Um, and 2020 was a real opportunity for us to, to revisit those priorities. Now, does that also trickle down to people managers as well? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think people managers in 2020 had the same realization. 
And it is so important just to make sure that you're connecting with your people, um, you're understanding where they are, what are their challenges. In 2020, we now talked about things like um, your kids and, and, you know, challenges at home and, and work environments. Um, and then you introduced the civil unrest and we started talking about, you know, racial issues in a way that, frankly, we had trained our managers up to this point to, to not go there in conversations necessarily. And, and so 2020, the events between the, the two, as I say, kind of um, twin crisis, crises that we had um, were really changed the, the focus of, of, and the role of people managers. Laura, you've talked in previous conversations, and this one too, about the importance of caring and connecting, but what about people managers who are not warm and fuzzy? How do they upskill connecting and caring, and should an HR professional be there to help them achieve that? The good news here is, is if it, if it doesn't come naturally to you, um, it, it is a, it can be a learned behavior. Um, it is important that as we look at the role of managers that, you know, it, we have to look for this as a competency. And, and if it's not a natural competency, perhaps it's not the right fit, right, for the individual most, mostly. Um, but if it is a competency that they have a desire and an inclination to develop, the good news is you can develop empathy. Um, empathy at the end of the day is understanding how others feel and being showing compassion towards them. And there's both an emotional and a cognitive component of that. And the cognitive component can be, can be developed. Um, what I would recommend um, someone who wants to grow their empathy skills um, to start with is taking a look at their current environment and their social circles and their, um, you know, the, the other circles in which they, they work and live in and, and ask themselves how homogeneous is that circle. And if you're surrounding yourself by people who think like you, behave like you, act like you, worship like you, you're not pushing yourself. Um, and, and you're not pushing yourself to understand others, which gets back to that core defini definition of empathy. Um, so take a look and, and, and find ways to expand your current worldview. Talk to new people. Uh, truly listen to understand. Be curious about them. Uh, we talked about walking in someone else's shoes. Explore different parts of your communities. Go to new restaurants that you wouldn't normally go to. These are all ways to um, expand, as I said, your worldview. And if you're doing it to understand and to learn, by definition, you are developing um, that, that important and uh, empathy capability. And that is terrific advice for anybody, not just a people manager. Thanks. Now, where do you see the biggest crises for businesses right now in retaining employees or attracting them? Um, yes and yes is how I would answer that question. Um, we, we still are dealing with the, with the, um, the fallout, I guess, or, or still dealing with the COVID and social injustice. 
um, those are going to stay with us um, for for years to come. And I would say if if companies aren't moving forward and and learning out of both of those um, two crises, they're they're not going to be able to retain and or attract employees. Um, so you know what I would say is you know again this whole topic of of, of being future ready. Um, it, the future is with us today, and and we have got to adapt and learn out of this and meet employees where they where they need us to be. That leads me to the um, that third uh, element that I mentioned: upskilling and reskilling in terms of uh, technology. This year's Global Risks Report noted that digital technology promises immense benefits that include the creation of almost 100 million new jobs worldwide by 2025. The technology may also displace 85 million jobs that become automated in five years. How big a problem is this in the United States? It's absolutely a problem that we have to address. Um, and, and we as employers have to address it um, we have to address it more systematically, um, and, and employees have a role to play here as well. Um, you know, technology, as you indicated, creates really powerful opportunities, but it is creating skill gaps for many of our employees. Um, you know, to be prepared for that future of work, we have to expand our efforts. Um, in the United States, part of this problem that we create ourselves. We, we have this tendency to have this disposable mindset about um, everything, including our people. Our, our, our past habits have been, if, if employees' skill sets don't match the job um, at the moment, we tend to let that employee go and go out and look for you know, the, next, the next talent. Um, yet, on the other opposite side of our mouths, we're complaining about the war on talent. Really, it's a war that we have created ourselves. So within Zurich, you know, we're we're trying to reset that paradigm, um, and and saying we have great talented employees already on the team, and and if we can think differently about talent, and employees can be. Um, think differently as well about their careers, and we're both willing to be flexible and agile and invest, then we're able to keep people on the team and we're able to grow together. Um, and so for us, it really starts with that resetting the mindset of how we think about people and how we think about careers and how we, how we develop and invest in our talent for the long term. So what are some of the things that Zurich ha has done to address this then? Could you give a couple of exa examples? Absolutely. Um, the, as I said, we all have a part to play with in this. And so one of the things that we've done over the last few years is making sure every employee within their objective setting um, has an objective that is about their own development. And, and this really is a way for us to send that message that, you know, this is a component of your job. It's not something we're asking you to do on the side. Um, it is something we want you to do with us. And there's lots of ways that that can happen. Um, it's not always just going to a class. We really emphasize learning from others and on the job learning. 
and it's getting people just to think about and recognize as they try new things, as they take on new assignments, they are growing and they are learning. And, and to be able to just capitalize on that and, and, and put that in terms of language that can be leveraged into other roles and opportunities. Um, on, on the company side, you know, we have to look for and be attentive to systematic barriers to career growth and opportunities. One such barrier we're trying to address at, at Zurich is this concept of degree inflation, where you know, over the last decade or so, four-year college degrees are being required for jobs that don't necessarily need that four-year degree, which is why we have launched a, a, an apprenticeship program. Um, apprenticeship programs are very common in, certainly in Switzerland, where we're headquartered, but not as common here in the United States, and certainly not in financial services, insurance, um, in, within our industry. So our apprentice program um, is actually um, an opportunity for us to, as we say, earn while you learn. Um, and apprentices are, they have a dual responsibility. They have a job with us when we hire them, but they also go to school. And so at the end of the two years, they have learned insurance because they've rotated through Zurich but they're also coming out with an associate's degree. And so it's a perfect opportunity for high school students that perhaps don't want to go down the, the college track or people trying to re-enter the workforce for military veterans. Um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for us to expand that lens on ways to um, access meaningful careers. That sounds fantastic. And I would imagine it also pre uh, presents a lot of opportunities for underrepresented groups. And that brings me to um, 2020 and the push or the renewed push for diversity and inclusion. The racial unrest of last year, the Me Too movement before that, the strides for the LGBTQ community, and most recently Asian Americans as well, just to name four. Um, groups has really propelled companies across the country to challenge themselves and take a harder look at what they're actually doing to promote D&I. Last year really shook things up and I wondered if you'd speak to why companies who thought they were doing a good job before then realized that well maybe they weren't. Yeah it uh, 2020 was as you said it really was a wake-up call. Um, it, it reset the bar for us and, and truly changed our paradigm. Um, and I think the, the biggest message is that um, you can't be passive on this topic and expect change to happen. Um, you have to reach beyond, um, I think, our, our pre-2020 conversations around hiring more diverse employees and, and really um, take ownership for creating that broader aperture, as I talked about earlier with our apprenticeship program. Um, how do you reach out and address, um, again, systemic barriers and, and create talent pipelines where they don't exist? Um, for us, 
um, we talked about this in terms of diversity and inclusion prior to 2020. Um, 2020, we then really introduced the concepts of equity and belonging, which are so critical to this conversation. And so now we talk about it as D-I-E and B. Um, and that belonging is not about getting numbers. It's not about representation. That, that's a key measurement. But at the end of the day, it's about that sense of belonging. Um, and, and that was the wake-up call for us in 2020 and where we have evolved our conversation to be much more holistic about the entire experience. Could you share some of the steps that Zurich took that companies of any size could consider? Absolutely. Um, one of the first things we recognized that we needed to do was actually be more transparent. Um, so similar to most other companies in, in the U.S. legal environment, um, we were always hesitant to be transparent about our representation numbers. Um, we changed that in 2020, and, and we said we, we can't address a problem that if we're not going to be clear about what that is and what our obstacles are and what our, our um, gaps are. So for the first time ever, we actually then shared our total employee population numbers and our leadership numbers um, in terms of representation. And that then is starting the conversation with our employees to say, hold us accountable. We're going to be very honest with you on our progress or where our challenges are, but it's part of them understanding they have a role to play in holding us accountable. Um, the other thing we did in terms of accountability um, was establish an executive DNI council. Um, we we felt that that was an important um, component to hold the leadership accountable. And our council is actually comprised of some of our leadership, some members of our ERGs, our employee resource groups. Um, it also has representation externally. So we have some of our brokers and customers as part of our councils, as well as our community partners. And so this helps provide us not only that accountability that I talked to, but it also helps um, provide different perspectives and, and opportunities to partner. As I said, it goes beyond just what are we doing for our employees, but it's what are we doing within our communities and with our businesses and our partners to um, kind of all go down this journey together. I would say in addition to those those two components, the other conversation that we're having is, is how do we evolve our employee resource groups to go beyond their, their traditional focus of developing and networking to actually being just how we do business. And so we're having conversations of that evolution from what we would call an ERG, employee resource group, to a B and ERG, business and employee resource group. So it's not that they don't still play a critical role in that developing and, and networking, but also how do we think about leveraging our diversity and our diverse voices more um, sustainable, sustainably within just how we do business. Laura, that all sounds um, fantastic and very doable for for any size business. And along those lines, there's a benefit for businesses to embrace 
a diverse workforce, right? Absolutely. Um, having a diverse workforce is increasingly table stakes nowadays. Our employees expect it of us. Our customers expect it of us. Um, we're within a regulated industry. Our, our regulators are expecting it of us. Why are they all expecting it of us? It's because it's the right thing to do. And, and there's all sorts of studies and statistics out there that show diverse workforces have, have better outcomes. Um, you know, it increases productivity, it increases creativity. Um, you get a better quality, um, better teamwork, better decision-making. Um, you need to have that, that um, you need to have that variety and, and diversity of thought and of experience to have a, a truly superior product and experience. Um, it's also just a great way to attract talent. Um, there is there are so many talent pools that are out there that today um, are not having the, it, an equal opportunity. And, you know, we owe it to ourselves, to our customers, to our employees to make sure that we're tapping into those talent pools that are out there. Um, you know, as I mentioned, corporate social responsibility is just a big part of, of our purpose. According to PricewaterhouseCoopers survey, 59% of millennials gravitate towards companies with well-developed CSR programs. Um, at Zurich, our people consistently tell us that our community investment activities and impact is one of the things they value most about working with Zurich. I want to move to another area. Before the pandemic, working from home was often granted to employees as a perk. COVID changed that for sure. For many of us, it became mandatory and a lot of perspectives changed, both from management as well as workers. But I still continue to read so much back and forth about this topic now that the vaccine is here and, and things are moving ahead. Could you talk to um, company responses to this working from home after the COVID crisis passes? It's a topic that um, 95% of companies right now are, are, are grappling with. Um, at Zurich, we had the benefit of the fact that we had a, a very robust um, flex work program prior to COVID, where 60% of our employee population already was um, working flexibly in some manner. Um, we, have, we have roles that are fully um, remote, and then we have um, a, a host of um, situations where employees um, as you said, we're working flexibly at least one day a week. Um, that allowed us to really make a very smooth transition um, to, the, to, to the COVID environment. Um, and now we're asking ourselves, you know, how do we then bring that back post-COVID? What does that um, next, as I keep saying, Flex 2.0 look like for us? Um, the reality is, is that in Employees have gotten their heads around this um, much faster than companies and managers have. Um, employees have really not missed a beat. And, and where a beat was missed, it was usually because of just the, the home environment wasn't conducive. Um, 
And so companies and managers now have to catch up as we think about this post-COVID world. Our employees have told us that they expect more flexibility going forward. And we do truly have to move beyond that concept of a flex work as a perk um, or else, you know, we are going to lose out on talent. And, and as I have always said, don't let a good crisis go to waste. What is it that we're learning out of this and how do we bring that forward um, and, and meet employees where, where they want to be? Good points all. And I do see that some companies are remaining gung-ho about having everyone back in the office when the crisis is over. So what do businesses have to consider if some of their people want to stay remote? So the headlines that you read are are those companies that are on either extreme, right? Those companies right. that are saying, absolutely, no, everyone comes back to work. We are an office-based you know, a company, and we're going to be that after after COVID. On the other extreme, you have employ employers that are coming out and saying, "Don't need offices anymore. We're going to be 100% remote." The reality is, is that a good 90% of us are going to be somewhere in the middle, and and it's how do you define that middle, and and how do you take the best out of what we've learned and, and continue to leverage it when you have a hybrid solution. Um, and there's trade-offs to that. Um, you know, there's companies that are coming back and saying, we're going to be fully in the office. If that's your mindset, you just need to know that you're taking a risk on talent. Um, a lot of employees, sure, that's what they're looking for and that's what they want. But, you know, as we said, employees have gotten a taste of this and, and aren't necessarily wanting it to be an all or nothing equation anymore. Um, so you are taking a risk that your employees might go to the competitor who are going to offer a little bit more flexibility. Um, and you don't have access to talent in markets that, you know, today being remote allows you to access. On the flip side, you know, a, a fully remote environment the, you know, the downside there is how do you maintain your culture? Um, how do you onboard your employees? I have a daughter who's 22, um, started a job in the COVID world and environment. Those employees who don't yet know what it's, what the culture is, what the expectation is, how to navigate through an organization, they don't have that social capital built up yet. How can you create opportunities for them to do that in a fully remote environment? Which is, again, why we say find that middle ground. Um, you know, that, that's where I, I think the sweet spot really will be. And it's just how do you develop managers? How do you teach managers how to manage and connect in that type of environment? Um, I would say, Renee, one interesting point for us and, and a takeaway to kind of connect this topic to as we were talking diversity earlier, uh, twice a year we do an employee net promoter score. And, and it, it's, you know, a way of measuring how employees are experiencing us. And last year in, in the third quarter, for the first time ever, we closed a gender gap that has always existed in our, in our net promoter. Women actually were, were slightly higher than men 
in, in terms of how they were feeling about um, working with us. My hypothesis here is that, you know, I think our, our female employees really responded very well to the care that was demonstrated throughout the crises that we were talking about earlier, um, as well as feeling that they were empowered to, to balance and juggle what they needed to, and they felt the support from us as an organization. So I think there's a real lesson learned here and, and some, some silver linings as a result of 2020 that we cannot um, ignore and, and let um, slip away from us. I want to touch on um, your mentioning uh, the survey, the employee surveys. And I wondered, is that the only way uh, a company can get feedback from employees that they really feel supported and empowered and that they're not just telling management what it wants to hear? Um, no, it's not the only way. It's the, it's the good news. If you're a small organization, there's lots of ways you can make sure you're getting um, open and honest feedback. And, and one of those is just to have skip level meetings, right? It's all part of a listening strategy. So make sure that you're reaching out and, and that you're asking the questions with an intent to understand and, and listen. Look for the signs beyond that, right? If your employees, as I always say, if they have quit and stayed, um, which means they're mentally really checked out on you, but they happen to still <laughs> physically work for you. Um, you know, there, there's going to be signs of that. There's going to be indicators, whether it's showing up in your customer service metrics, if it's showing up in the utilization of your sick leave. Um, it doesn't always show up in attrition. So just because your attrition numbers look okay, it doesn't mean that you might not have a problem. Um, but I don't think we we explore those indicators well enough and, and then use that as an opportunity to really start asking the right questions and, and try to get to the root problem. And, you know, at, again, it all comes down to trust. Have you created a, a, an equation and a relationship of trust with your employees that they will open up in the right environment with the right encouragement? Um, you know, if you can create that, you don't need to be running a, a several thousand employee um, survey to, to get the feedback. Excellent points. Um, lastly, I wanted to share something about your email signature. When I opened my inbox on a Monday morning last month, there was a reply from you, which you'd sent to me over the weekend. And beneath your signature line, it says, please note, I do not expect replies on evenings or weekends. I just really love that because it does reinforce that sense of care and that support of work-life balance from someone in the upper tier of the company. Can you just speak to that? It's not hard to do, right? It is, it is a line in, in my signature, but it really does convey, as, as you picked up on, um, I think just a, a very powerful message and, and one that leaders need. Sometimes we just make the mistake, well, people surely understand that. Um, no, they don't. They don't know your expectations. And whether you put it in an email line or, you know, again, you sit down and you talk to your employees about your views on 
you know, how they work and when they should be working. I think we're wired to read the worst of expectations. Um, <laughs> and so putting something in there as simple uh, as just saying, um, I sent it at the time that was con most convenient to me. Um, and, and I don't necessarily need you to be responding to that. As, as I tell my employees, um, PTO means something. When you're off on PTO or using a vacation day, um, it does not impress me if you're responding to me on a day like that. Where I have difficult conversations with my employees, it's when they are responding on those days where they need to be recharging their batteries. And, and please, when you're off, be off. And if there's something that's pressing and critical, I'll let you know that. The subject line will say that. Other than that, please take that time. It's important that people have that opportunity to get away, relax, recharge their batteries, and come back feeling refreshed. Terrific. Now, Laura, it is time for the lightning round. <laughs> Are you okay. ready? Yes, I think so. Okay, you can answer as briefly um, as you like. And if you want to elaborate, we are more than happy to hear that too. Okay, okay number one, what was your first job? First job was a waitress and I was horrible at it. So um, I, I, I learned very quickly, customer service is a hard, hard job and um, I, I also learned very quickly, I, I, I'm not necessarily wired to that. So what is your worst job? Was, was that it? Um, actually, no. That job was just one where I was just not a fit. Um, my, my worst job was my first corporate job. Um, and I enjoyed the job. I enjoyed the company. I had a, a very bad manager. And, and I learned very quickly in that job. They always say people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And um, learned the importance of being a, a really good manager. Now, I think I know the answer to best job, but just in case. <laughs> uh, my job today, I absolutely love what I do. I love the opportunity to... Um, really work with leaders, work with employees. And, and at the end of the day, I say my job is about making them be as successful as they, they want and can be. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a great job to have. Choose your favorite movie about terrible managers, Office Space or 9 to 5? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I actually did a training program um, around a, a bunch of clips from Office Space. I think Office Space, it's a great lesson in more broad, bad work environments. I would say nine to five, without a doubt, is a, is a lesson in um, really bad manager. And finally, what is your favorite PTO destination? Oh, I'm gonna have to go with France. And uh, I can't narrow it down any more than that. Um, love the, the wine country and Burgundy. Um, love their cities. Love the food. Um, can't wait for COVID to be behind us and, and we can get back to traveling. Laura, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing so many great insights today. Thank you, Renee. It's been a great conversation. I truly appreciate it.
Thanks for listening to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at ZurichNA.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.